You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Venizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. It's going to be great. It's going to be rich. And that's what Adam and Eve probably thought. And they're disobeying God and eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, only to find out that that occupation led to a huge and great horror within their lives. And so always keep that in front of you. You know, when the devil comes and tempts you and and it seems so alluring and you're gravitating towards that and moving in that direction, Ultimately, it will become a horror within your life. We are so easily deceived. Even Adam and Eve, perfect humans who intimately knew God and literally walked and talked with Him, fell into the deception of Satan. Why would we expect to be able to discern his lies any better? In today's message, Pastor Mike will continue our exploration of this decisive moment in our history. The enemy will dress up temptation in the finest dresses. At first glance, it may appear to be a good thing, and you'll easily find justification for it. But it always brings destruction. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of Genesis chapter 3 as he begins his message, The Knowledge of Good and Evil. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them, that would be Adam and Eve, were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves covering. Let me tell you what this message is all about. And we've been talking about uh, this subject leading up to this text. You know, the way that Satan chose to tempt Adam and Eve to eat of the tree of the, go- uh, of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, that's specifically uh, here in this text, what this message is all about. But I want you to think about the devil and his craftiness and the way that he would go about uh, tempting us. In fact, last time together, we were talking about all of the allurements, all of the enticements, all of the devices of Satan. The Bible tells us that we're not ignorant of those devices. And it's really not a lot of uh, devices that the devil uses to uh, trip us up and to uh, you know, move us towards uh, temptation and then ultimately uh, sin. It's just basically a few, but they're very effective, aren't they? So the point being is that, you know, at that point of being enticed, being allured, being tempted, our immediate response is that of, oh man, this is going to provide something wonderful. I'm going to be fulfilled. I'm going to be satisfied. I'm going to experience something that I've never experienced before. It's going to be great. 
It's going to be rich. And that's what Adam and Eve probably thought. And they're disobeying God and eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, only to find out that that occupation led to a huge and great horror within their lives. And so always keep that in front of you. You know, when the devil comes and tempts you and and it seems so alluring and you're gravitating towards that and moving in that direction, ultimately it will become a horror within your life. That is because you've disobeyed the Lord. Okay? So anyway, that's what this message is all about. kind of sets the stage for it. But first of all, I want us to go back to the lie that the devil used to entice Eve to disobey God and eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Let's go back to verses 4 and 5, which were a part of our text last time. Then the serpent said to the woman, we've firmly established that the serpent was none other than the devil himself, you will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. So basically, and this is again, and we went over this in our previous studies, we talked about how that here the devil was suggesting that God's word cannot be trusted, right? So that's one of the devices of the devil who come alongside and say, you know what, uh, he really didn't mean that or And, uh, you know, he's really withholding some good thing from you because he knows that in the day that you eat thereof, you're going to be like him. So the idea is there, you can't trust God's word. God's withholding some good thing from us, which is just absolutely false. In fact, remember, after God had created the physical universe and declared after each creation, it is good, then he instructed the first man, the first woman, uh, to enjoy it, to subdue it, and to have dominion over all things. It was all theirs for their enjoyment and their blessing. That's the God I know. That's the God whom I serve. But, you know, the devil will come along and try to put doubt in your mind concerning those kinds of things, right? And, and, it's, and he takes the word, the spoken word of God, twists it, perverts it, right? Again, another device of the devil. We, again, we went into this in great uh, detail in our last uh, service. Again, I'd encourage you, if, uh, if you haven't been around for the last couple of weeks. Now, again, let's go back to that lie. He says, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Well, let me first of all say that this was partially true. Because think about it. Adam and Eve, up until this point, did not know good and evil They only knew that which was good, but not the evil, right? That is before their fall. Of course, God knows both. Good because it's an expression of his nature. The Bible tells us that God is good. In fact, everything that God does is good. That's who God is. That's his essence, if you will. The essence of God, the nature of God is uh, good, And he also knows evil because it's all that is opposed to that nature. So God knows both good and evil. So when Adam and Eve sinned, yes, they now knew the difference, but not from God's standpoint, who loves good and hates evil. You see, in that fallen state, being fallen creatures who love evil and hate good. So the devil more accurately should have said, hey, listen, Adam and Eve, the day that you eat, your eyes will be open. Actually, you're going to be like me. That's what the devil, more accurately, that's what 
the devil uh, should have said, and that would have been more accurate, and of course that would have been true. You know, Matthew Henry, the great expositor and teacher, uh, had some well-written words on this subject, and he notes that their eyes were opened now when it was too late. They saw the folly of eating the forbidden fruit. They saw the happiness they had fallen from and the misery they had fallen into. They saw a loving God provoked, his grace and favor forfeited, his likeness and image lost, dominion over the creatures gone. They saw their natures corrupted and depraved and felt a disorder in their own spirits of which they had never before been conscious of. They saw a law in their members warring against the law of their minds and captivating them both to sin and to wrath. They saw as Balaam, when his eyes were opened, Numbers chapter 22, the angel of the Lord standing in the way and his sword drawn in his hand. They saw themselves disrobed of all their ornaments and ensigns of honor, degraded from their dignity and disgraced in the highest degree, laid open to the contempt and reproach of heaven and earth and their own consciences. Folks, that's what's at stake when we disobey God. So this kind of knowledge is too costly. It's extremely painful, painful for Adam and Eve. And let me also suggest that it will be just as painful for you. There'll be great loss in disobeying the Lord. Now, for Adam and Eve, it was so painful that immediately they took steps to deny what they had done. That is to cover it up, to rid themselves of their guilt. Now, how did they attempt to do that? Well, let's talk about the effects of knowledge gained through sin and the way that it's manifested. And this is the fruit of sin. When we make that choice to sin, when we give ourselves into temptation, which leads to sin, this is the way that it's manifested in the life of a person. The first of which is guilt. And if you're taking notes, write this down, guilt, guilt. Now, this uh, uh, will be demonstrated through denial and blame shifting. So that's what I'm referring to when I say guilt, denial and blame shifting. Let me give you an example. After uh, they became aware of what they had done and disobeyed uh, the Lord and and became very much aware of that. Notice in verses 12 and 13. Let's jump ahead. Then the man said to the woman, who after God, by the way, after God had come into the garden seeking them, by the way, lovingly seeking them, and uh, to address them uh, because of what they had just done, all right? And now they're responding to that question. And so there in verse 12, and by the way, this is the first passing of the buck in the history of mankind. Then the man said, the woman who you gave to me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. And if you think about it, not only is he blaming Eve, that is Adam, but he's also blaming God. Hey, you're responsible for this. I never asked you to give me the woman. Okay. I would have been happy not to have to help me, basically. Right. This is the first passing of the buck recorded uh, in history. But let's now consider Eve's response. Take a look at verse 13. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And then she responded and said, the, the woman said, the serpent deceived me 
and I ate. Listen, gang, let me tell you something. Things haven't changed all that much. Today, we blame everything else and everyone else rather than taking the responsibility and the blame for our actions. We blame our parents. You know, we were raised in a dysfunctional family, right? And so we blame it on our parents, the crazy things that we've, we've done. We blame it on society. We blame it on the establishment. Whatever, you fill in the blanks. Rather than just taking the responsibility upon ourselves and our guilt before God and before others. And listen, let me tell you something. Man, today have developed this over time to a fine art. We deny the wrong itself. And at least in part, personally, I put the blame on the psychiatric community who made distinctions between guilt and guilty feelings. Let me say that again, and then I'll explain what I mean. The psychiatric community today, and I, I put the blame on them for a lot of what I'm referring to here has made distinctions between guilt and guilty feelings. The idea is to bring these feelings into the open, sort of like a, an open forum. You know, you get together with other people who have done things that they shouldn't have done and, and uh, you know, where they have this guilt. And uh, their, their ultimate goal is to rid those people who are part of this for, forum of their guilt. And this goes on. Often why people go and uh, seek that kind of help through that community. So the idea there is to bring these feelings of guilt into the open where we can dispose of them by public approval where the acts that cause them can then be done freely without guilt and without those kinds of feelings. They can just go on, you know, doing the things that aren't good, doing disobeying God's laws and feel free of guilt whatsoever. But you know, we understand, for example, in that forum, you're gathered together and uh, maybe you got busted for something and you've been let go by your employer. So everyone as a part of that forum would, you know, chime in and, and would suggest, hey, listen, we understand why you robbed for, for, uh, from your employer because you weren't getting paid what you deserved. And so therefore it makes it right. And so now I'm feeling good about myself. Oh, yeah, I did, I did rob my employer. I did get busted. I, they did let me go. They found out about it. Thank God they didn't press charges. But, you know, but I still I have these guilty feelings. But someone stands up and says, well, you know, you shouldn't feel bad about that. They weren't paid. Well, what were you making a week? What were you making a month? How many hours were you putting in? You know, and, uh, you know, trying to rationalize their actions. And now, and now I'm free of the, the guilt. I'm, I'm rid of, of those kinds of feelings and emotions. You know, C.S. Lewis writes of this kind of tendency, saying, and I quote, we have labored to overcome that sense of shrinking, that desire to conceal, which either nature herself or the tradition of almost all mankind has attached to cowardice, unchastity, falsehood, and envy. We are told to get things out into the open not for the sake of self-humiliation, but on the ground that these things are very natural and we need not be ashamed of them. He says then in doing this, we have broken down one of the ramparts of the human spirit. Listen, gang, to deny that wrong is wrong is no doubt thought to be a great gain by those who have done wrong, 
But the Bible teaches otherwise. It's a sign of a darkened mind. Now, I'm going to ask you, if you will, to turn with me to the book of Romans in chapter 1. And this is pretty extensive, but we're going to do some reading. We'll just take two minutes to do this. In Romans chapter 1, and let's begin in verse 21 to make this point. Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 21. This is our culture. This is our society on the whole. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile or empty in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Now get this, verse 24, and this is repeated several times going forward. Therefore, God also gave them up. Man, you might want to underline that phrase. That's their judgment. When we choose not to recognize God and we continue along that course in disobedience, there may come a time where God will give us up. And then as we continue through this list, you'll you'll see what they have been given up to. All kinds of vileness, a variety of different sins. So they go on to a downward spiral. I shouldn't say onwards, downwards on that downward spiral. So verse 24, therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness and the lust of their hearts, to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie. Notice again, one time they held the truth, right? They understood the truth, but they abandoned the truth. God gives them up. This is the fruit of that. And they worship and serve the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forevermore. For this reason, and there's that phrase again, God gave them up to vile passions. For even their woman exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. It's sort of like, you know, thrown into prison. Likewise, also the men leaving the natural use of women. They're talking about homosexuality here, obviously. Burned in their lust for one another. Men and women committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which is due. You know, man, this will put a whole new spin on on the sin of homosexuality. God gave them up. That's their judgment. They've been thrown into prison. They might not even be aware of that fact. You know, they think that they've been vindicated and they've been freed from those feelings and emotions and the guilt of it all that they originally experienced. But the truth of the matter is God gave them up. That's the penalty they're paying. They're submerged into that sin. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind. There's the phrase again. Not to do those things which are not fitting. Being filled with unrighteous sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors. They come up with new ideas on how to go about sinning of evil things. They're disobedient to parents. They're undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Folks, these are the people whose minds have betrayed them. Betrayed them for what they actually knew. And these are the moderators of these open forums where people come to rid themselves of their guilt. 
That's what we're dealing with. No, no wonder we are in such the mess that we are in today here in the United States of America. These experts here in Romans chapter 1 and verse 32, they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve death. That's what the verse teaches. And yet they continue to do those very things themselves and approve of those who practice them. You see that there? Listen, the reasons why we have guilty feelings is why? Because we're guilty. There you go. Oh, man, you don't have to be a genius to figure that one out, right? Why is that? Simply because you are in rebellion against God. And God innately put that knowledge within us. We need to recognize that. Call it what you want. Call it a conscience, your convictions. It's something that God places innately within each and every person. So therefore, if you think about it, then guilt could actually be a good thing, the right kind of a guilt, because it will drive you to the great physician for healing, right? And so that's a good thing if, in fact, it has that effect upon your life. So anyway, that's the first manifestation. That's the first effect of knowledge gained by sin and the way that it is manifested through guilt, which leads to denial and blame shifting. Now, that brings us to our second point. The next painful effect of the knowledge of good and evil is shame. And if you're taking notes, write this down. Okay, so how do we get rid of shame? And you've experienced all of these emotions and feelings, right? And uh, the dread of it all, particularly those of us who... Well, I don't know if I could speak for you. I'll speak for myself, particularly for me. I feel all of these kinds of feelings and emotions because, listen, probably there's no one else here in in this room that that should know better than me. I've been at this for a long time. I've been teaching God's word now for like almost 40 years. And I don't know if any of you can make that same claim. I know we have some great teachers here who lead in Bible studies and men's and women's fellowships and stuff but I've been at this for a long time. I don't think any of you have been at it that long. And so, listen, you know, I would be more guilty of disobeying the Lord than probably any of you if I, if I in fact, succumb to temptation. And when I do, and I do, I'm going to be honest with you. In fact, the Bible tells us if we say that we have no sin, the truth is not in us, and we deceive ourselves. So come on, let's get real. We're all sinners, right? And, but I feel terrible, man, when I sin. And I think, you know, when the Holy Spirit convicts me of my sin, I think, what in the world? What was I thinking of? How could I do that? How can I say that? How could I do this? You know, what's going on with me? I know better. So I'm sure that you can relate to all of these responses, all of these feelings, all of these emotions, how we get rid of, you know, those things. When, when in fact, we do succumb to temptation and sin. In my Father's house there's a place for me in my father's house where I long to be oh my heart. here at in my father's house we're going through the book of Genesis where the story of the beginning is told God made light and said that it's good God made plants and trees and said that it's good God made animals on land and in the sea, and he said that it's good. And then God made man, and he said that it is very good. 
Creation didn't stop at the end of the sixth day. Creating is an inherent part of who God is and what He does. Look around you. What do you see? New plants, new trees, new animals, each one unique in how it grows. And God is still saying it is good. God is in the business of creating new people out of old ones, undoing the inherent brokenness. When you were born again, a new creation, God looked at you and said that you are very good. He has made you new and restored you to the place you were designed to fill. You've been listening to In My Father's House with Pastor Mike Venizio. This is a ministry out of Harvest Christian Fellowship in Midtown Manhattan. We'd love to see you here. You can find all the information you need, including service times, on our website, harvestnyc.org. That's harvestnyc.org. If you're listening outside of Manhattan, we'd love to know that, too. Please send us a quick note at harvestnyc at verizon.net. That's harvestnyc at verizon.net. It's a great encouragement to Pastor Mike and the team at In My Father's House to hear where these messages are being listened to. We hope you'll come back and see us again, because there's no better place to be than in my father's house.